honesty has been the issue at the bottom of everything. Um, right. And for me, constantly reminding myself of the consequences of what happens when you're not honest, the right. consequences of what happens when you do pick up that one drink. And so I stay very, you know, immersed in the recovery world because of that. Because I, right. I don't want to ever lose sight of it. And not to like self-flagellate or anything. I don't want to like torture myself. No, but no, no. So I don't get so far away that I forget what it's like. That was Emily Lynn Paulson. And today we're talking about honesty and what it means to be honest with ourselves on the grand scale. When we're numbing out to addiction or even little pacifiers throughout the day, what are we not facing? Where are we not looking at the truth? Hello, I'm Martin John, and this is the Recover Yourself Podcast. Emily is the author of Highlight Reel, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. I'm going to ask you to read between the lines a little bit in this episode and find the theme of honesty. Where are we talking about being honest versus where we're hiding? How are we presenting ourselves to the children that we say we care so much about? How are our beliefs being hijacked by the media and neighbors and making us turn against ourselves? How is being honest, especially with ourselves, getting overlooked at every turn? This is what we're talking about today. Emily, thank you for being with me. What inspired your book? Sure. So I think like a lot of people when they get sober, start to think like, how the hell did I get here? And... So for me, writing has always been a big thing. Um, Just journaling, uh, writing emails to myself, writing notes to myself, just getting my feelings, my thoughts out. Um, And so I started writing. I started reading a lot. I read like every recovery memoir out there. And I started, you know, seeing some of my story reflected back at me. And I just kept writing and kept writing. And I started sharing. And the more I wrote, the more I shared the more connected to myself I felt. Um, and so after a couple of years of, you know, writing what I thought would really be like a woman's recovery memoir or women's, you know, a mom who got sober, I, I was really like focused on just the stopping drinking. Um, you know, I was able to uncover a lot of these other things from my childhood um, as a teenager through college, as an adult, all of these patterns that didn't serve me anymore that I was really using alcohol to, um, to avoid things, to cover things, to self-medicate. And so I, I just really wanted to put something out there that I would have needed uh, to read. Right. And so for me, it was, it was a healing mechanism too. It was very cathartic. Um, but I also just felt like I had a voice that needed to be heard. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. So I utilized my art in, in order to kind of get clean as well. Like I was doing a lot of visual art. And, and that was, like you said, like, oh, wait, my problem was never really alcohol. It was that I wanted to hide from all these things that alcohol allied, allowed me to hide from. Right. So in terms of your recovery, what are some things that you're finding in your life today that are ways that you utilize to cope with those sorts of heavy things? Well, like you said, I mean, life presents me with the same struggles as life did before. Um, right. So the only thing that's changed is how I deal with them. Um, I think about things a lot more. I allow feelings. For so long, I really, I wanted to numb things. I wanted things to go away. I didn't want to feel feelings. Um, And I didn't realize I was doing that. 
Um, but I, I really learned that I can decide my actions. I know that sounds funny, but I think to people in addiction that it makes a lot of sense. Like I can have feelings and act on them and decide what the consequences are going to be based on those actions. Like I can choose what happens. Um, but when I was drinking, it's like I had a struggle and I would drink it away. So sobriety in itself, like hasn't taken my struggles away, but it's, it's allowed me to find ways to deal with them and and get through them and not numb them out. So alcohol is an easy way to numb and that's a pacifier that we've used in the past and, and both of us have used that. Um, what pacifiers do you have in your life today that maybe when you find yourself doing them, you can stop and go, mm, am I checking out somewhere and then be able to kind of more further process some of those uh, some of those internal things that are happening? Yeah, I mean, I, I really I think part of my struggle just growing up was not having a real strong sense of self. And, mm. and so getting other people's approval has, has always been something I think that is fed into that addiction. It's like the chicken or the egg. Did I drink to win other people's approval or did I win other people's approval because I drank with them? I mean, who knows, but um, I, I do, I have to catch myself because obviously I'm in this, you know, writing world, the social media world. Um, I have to make sure that I don't, feed too much into whether people approve what I have to say or not. And I think it makes it easy in the sense that I'm saying things that are really against the status quo. Like I've gotten really used to, um, you know, like today I shared an article that I wrote about, you know, why you shouldn't drink in front of your kids. And that's going to piss off like 90% of people I know, right? Fundamentally, because that's something they do. But but I'm okay with that. I, I feel like I, I've put myself out there enough to, I guess, I don't know, get over that, that feeling yeah. of, of needing other people's approval. But I, I still need to put myself in check. Like, okay, just put the phone down for a while. Or just, uh, you know, like, usually when I post something, I'll go work out. <laughs> so right. I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, it's, who's going to say something? Is someone going to start arguing with me? Like, I put it away and then I come back to it and I kind of see what happens and, and I can have just a better perspective on it. That's good, um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I would say in early sobriety, I did all the things that they recommend doing, like, you know, eat candy if you feel like you have a craving and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I drink a lot more coffee than I used to, but all of those things, I try not to judge too much, um, right. you know, and I don't see it as really trading addictions. Like, you can't mm-hmm. get a DUI from coffee. You can't get a DUI from candy. So like, I'm good with that. I'm totally right. good with that. No, absolutely. And it's not a, it's not, it's not about judgment. It's not about, it's about, um, it's about awareness, right? It's about yeah. like, well, okay. Like, like you said, I'm checking out, like I'm, 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 I'm opting to not be aware, right? Like when we're drinking and then I am, I am, I am 100% behind. I'm good with that. Right. Um, so what were some of the things that you discovered about yourself or your life, like patterns and other things like that since your recovery began that once you started adding awareness to it, you were able to change? Well, I think when the beer goggles come off, you start experiencing life in a different way, obviously. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my marriage, my friends, you know, without alcohol, parenting without alcohol, it just, it, it really slaps you in the face. Right. So, yeah, talk to me I, about I really that. learned, <laughs> <laughs> I learned who I wanted to be around and who I didn't want to be around really quickly. Um, 
and not in a judgmental way, but it, it made me realize that I hadn't been very good at choosing friendships. Um, and I, I hadn't been good at, you know, choosing things that I liked. Again, I really absorbed what other people did. Um, and you know, I absorbed what other people liked. And, and so I really had to figure out who I was and what I liked and what I wanted. And, you know, I realized I, I didn't want to be a victim anymore. Um, I realized that I had a hard time with honesty and I, and I think that's pretty common in addiction, but just the little white lies. Um, you know, if we were running late for school, it's so much easier to tell the office that someone's sick or someone's hurt or make up some excuse, even though that sounds like a little thing, those little bits of dishonesty were, had just been like chipping away at me for, for a really long time. And so I just had to, I had to throw myself into doing the work. I mean, I did this, did the, I uh, went to AA, you know, I worked the steps. Um, and I realized that I could clean up my own side of the street without focusing on anyone else. And I think right. that was, that was a really big thing for me too. Like no matter what my husband was doing, no matter what my friends were doing, no matter what my kids were doing or how they were acting, like I could still recover. And, and that's very freeing. And it, maybe it seems obvious. It was not obvious to me. Um, it's not obvious to someone who is constantly building their right, life around other people and what other people are doing that you right. have control over it. Right. Um, so going through everything I did in my life and things that I continue to go through through recovery, you know, it's, it's also given me empathy. Um, and that's one thing I realized, you know, I, I didn't, it's like nine hindsight's 50 or hindsight's not 50, 50, 20, 20. <laughs> yeah. Um, <Whoa>. yeah. <laughs> hindsight's 20, 20. You, you look back and realize the things you were lacking based on what you have now. I mean, I didn't know that I wasn't a very empathetic person. I, I thought that, you know, I'm a mom. Uh, I'm so giving, I, I give myself all the time. I'm so selfless, but I really wasn't a very empathetic person. And right. so I'm able to be that now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I view myself differently now. I can give grace to other people because I know that I can give grace to myself and that I focus on myself. I mean, honestly, everything I have now, I feel like is because of my sobriety. And I feel like that wasn't even your original question, but that's, right. Yeah. No, no, no. That's absolutely you know? beautiful. Um, in terms of the difference between sobriety and recovery, what is recovery for you? So I think, it, and this just goes to show how much my brain has changed because I really did see it as very black and white before. I think I saw a lot of things as very black and white that you're either an addict or you're not. Like you're either an alcoholic or you're not. And if you're not an alcoholic, then you could just continue drinking like, like you were before, right? Because you're not an alcoholic, even if it's destroying your marriage, even if it's destroying your friendships, no matter what consequences, it's okay because you're not an alcoholic. But that's really rationally what I thought. So I took those quizzes online, you know, am I an alcoholic? I could always find the caveat, right? And now I see it so much differently. Um, and there are women like me, you know, friends who are sober or in 12 step or wherever who are exactly have the exact same story, exact same background and don't call themselves alcoholics because it's a label. Like that's, it's a word. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And to me, addiction is such a spectrum. And I, I do think, I do think that alcohol affected me differently. I do think there are people it affects differently and in different ways. So maybe there are people who are more prone to be addicts. Um, but again, we don't know. There's not a, there's no like blood test you can take. Um, 
but I really believe like every single human person on the planet has the potential to be a rock bottom addict, like no question, because not even talking about any other drug, but specifically alcohol, it's addictive, it's toxic carcinogen, it's a neurotoxin, like it's meant to make you addicted. Right. So it's, it's not black and white addict versus non-addict. And even if you aren't again, an alcoholic and drink however you want, like it, it just makes no sense. So, so I don't care <laughs> about labels. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to feed into the stigma of it, but in my opinion, you call me an alcoholic, call me whatever you want. I don't care. So I think it's, it's so much more about just needing to educate ourselves about the dangers of a substance than it is about labels. Um, right. You know, it's so much about numbing and, and not being present and it's really complicated. Um, Absolutely. And, 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 and in terms of like numbing, I mean, people use everything to numb, right. And even like you mentioned earlier, I would, I would claim that the idea of like approval from others is an addiction, that neurochemical that we need to create, we're getting from an external place. So that's behavior like, like gambling. Um, So when I, when I talk about the difference between recovering from and recovering to, it's really about like recovering yourself, this whole being that you didn't believe existed while you had, while you were in active addiction. Right. Um, just as an introduction to that, like, can you um, just give me your thoughts on like that idea of... For sure. And I think that's when you hear people talking about like emotional sobriety versus mm-hmm. just not drinking, like they're two very different things. Um because I had not drank lots of times. I didn't drink for nine months at a time for five pregnancies. I would stop for a month or two, like, but I don't consider myself sober during emotionally sober during those times because I didn't fix anything. Um, And like I said, I had, you know, I had a very, I didn't have a very good strong sense of self as a, as a child. And, And, you know, who knows? I talk about that in my book, not, not knowing really why or where that came from. Um, But regardless, Mm -hmm. you know, I was very smart. I was very musically gifted, but as I got older, I started to shun those things because I didn't want the attention of it. Um, it was, there were things that I associated negatively with painful things. Um, and, and I wanted to fit in, like those were things that didn't fit into the status quo. So this has been something like I've been undoing for the past decade, you know, especially through sobriety. Um, I, you know, <laughs> it comes up all the time. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I like to go skiing, for example. Good. Yeah. Right. I have to say, like, I pretended to have favorites as a child. Like people would yes. be like, what's your favorite color? I'd be like, uh, I, I can't believe you can have a favorite. But yeah. And, and then I would respond with things like black just because it would get a response. Yeah. Yeah. Continue so trying. I think it going fundamentally back to the idea of what do I like and what do I not like? So for me, the not drinking part wasn't even the, the sobriety piece, wasn't the recovery piece. It was, again, like recovering who I am, finding out who I was. Mm-hmm. And and I really had to grow up from that point when I started doing those things, like from that point when I was younger and lied to cover up things and drank to cover up things or slept with somebody to cover up something or whatever I did to feed into those feelings. Um, so I do things I enjoy and things that I like. Again, sounds simple, but when you agree, grow up like absorbing likes and dislikes of other people. It's a really big deal. Um, I, I work out because it makes me feel good, not because it burns calories. And that's always right. why I thought you worked out 
right? I thought you punished yourself because of what you <laughs> ate or you made room for what you were going to eat. Like that was working right. out to me. And, and when you, so, so some of those behaviors, like I worked out before I work out now, but my, the reason I do it and how I feel from it is so different. Right. Um, I realized that I'm not really as social as I thought I was, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I use booze as like that social lubricant mm-hmm. to, I don't know if it make to make me seem fun or to tolerate people like, but I, I realized, you know, I hate small talk. Like I like this. I like talking yeah. about things, talking right. about actual things. Like I don't want to banter about the weather that makes me like want to put a fork in my eye. Like I can't yeah. do it. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's, that's why I drink at parties and you mingle and it makes it easier to tolerate uncomfortable things. So, <laughs> like, like I live in Seattle, so I have to fucking like talk about, like I don't, like you live in yeah. Seattle, right? So you have to talk about rain like at every party, right? It's been raining, hasn't it? <laughs> yes. It's like, yes. no, no, like you know, give me I, a drink, please, because. I know, exactly. <laughs> so, so now I just figured out how to deal with that. Like I get to a party and see the person I know or the people I know, or I bring someone with me or I chat with my husband, like, I find the people I like, and again, this sounds so like obvious, but it's not find the people you like to talk to and talk to them about the things you like to talk about. Like stop trying to please everybody and do all the things that socially we think we have to make small talk with everybody. Like who, who, who invented that shit, right? Like what? (laughs) It sounds like torture. You know, I don't care if I meet everybody at the party. I don't, obligate myself to go to things I don't want to go to. I've gone to events where I meet one stranger who asks me a really interesting question and we talk the entire time. I mean, like, and it's like so great. And I've gone to events too, where it's a bunch of people I know, and then it's, it's boring. Like, so it's not necessarily has to be people, you know, don't know. It's just everything. Everything is independently individual. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just the depth of something for me. I don't want surface anything anymore. I don't want right. surface relationships. I don't want mm-hmm. surface feelings. I don't Ugh. care how things look anymore. Like I want actual meaning in things. So this that's 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 beautiful. And let me just like I expressed this to everybody at some point, but I love you. Like that's amazing. So I'm really excited to to hear that. And I want to bring this around because like what we're talking about is this idea that we were being advertised to as children, right? Uh, those of us in our, you know, like I'm in my, I'm approaching my mid forties. Um, so, and younger, right? Like all of, all of us um, have, have been advertised to. And so we were, we were really geared to be in a space where it's like, we are expected to be a certain thing. Sure. Then as we start being that thing, we're unhappy. We don't like, we don't like what it's doing. We have to, you know, adjust by drinking or, or, or having latching onto something. But while we're latching onto something, we're giving up quite a bit of ourselves. We start to be informed by externals. Mm-hmm. And those externals are what everybody wants to kind of like gear themselves for. And this is where this idea of wine mom culture comes up for me, because it's like, what is expected of you? And when you say things like, it seems so obvious, do mm-hmm. what you like, the problem is, is nobody that is, let's say, 50 years old or younger, maybe nobody alive in the United States today that has lived within, you know, 
has has lived within eyeshot of a television can know what they want. Right. So this is a this is a this is a Pandora's box of like unwrapping like all of the experiences that we've had. And so when you mention something like, hey, as a parent, your drinking is affecting your children. People step up to the plate for advertisers, for the society that they have lived in for so long and argue for them, which is for the, their own limitations. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. I don't know even what the question is, but I would love if you would try and piece those things together for me. So I think as a parent, it's a constant battle. Like even from before you get pregnant, you know, every choice you make, there is so much pressure. Are you gonna, you know, like, what are you going to eat when you're pregnant? Oh, you're having sushi? Like, ooh, you know, everything is so, all of a sudden, you're making these choices and everything's on you. Everything you do is what's going to affect the baby, right? And then it comes out and then all of a sudden, oh, are you going to breastfeed? Are you going to use this car seat? Are you going to co-sleep? Are you going to do this? And so there's so much pressure on and judgment from and the outside world. Where is this world. coming from? It, yeah, just from, from other moms, from advertisements. Like, we feel like we need we need all this information yet it's too much information and it's really, it's really defeating. Like there is no perfect. There's no way to be perfect because you're going to piss off somebody and do something wrong. And so that's hard to undo. It's really hard to undo and not hear those messages. And you want to be informed, but when you get so informed that you start feeling like a shitty parent (laughs) from the get go, like from the, before the baby's even born. So you know, I, I feel like that then rubs off on our kids, right? Because then the way they act or the things they eat, and I still find myself doing this, like, God, my kids don't eat enough vegetables. Like I didn't feed them enough vegetables as, as babies. And now they're screwed for the rest of their lives. You get in this thing where you're like, God, this is all my fault. But then you start putting that, them on that, that on them. And, and so I try to be really aware of not giving them my crappy patterns. And and part of that obviously was was getting sober, right? Right. And I didn't realize the things I was doing that were negative. And I'm sure there are things that I still do that they'll talk to their therapist about when they're adults. And, And there's just nothing you can do about that, right? There's just, we're all different. But I really try to not be so black and white about anything because they are all human beings who are all trying to take in all this information too. And, and I want them to figure out who they are too, Mm -hmm. even if I don't necessarily agree with things they do. And so it's, it's so hard as, as a parent to navigate all these choices and then to show your kids how to navigate things, especially when the things for them are changing and I don't even understand half the crap they're using, right? These apps and whatever. It's like, how do I navigate that? So, and you know, so I don't even know if I can piece that together. Right. right. It's, yeah. It's so hard, you know, so they're already bearing the burden of all of this information on in the world and grades and making good decisions and being good people. And so I don't want to put my shit on them too. Right. <laughs> so I'm just trying to guide them as best I can. And, you know, it's, 
it's hard. Like it's hard to be a human being. So I, oh, I yeah, don't know how gets out of here. And that's their None job. of us are getting like, out of here alive. So right. there you like, go. Like it's their job to be humans now. So taking where you are now as kind of a baseline, what is, what is clear thinking to you? I think clear thinking, I really started to notice, let's say around six months of sobriety. Okay. And I, I, you know, they say it takes like 90 days for it to totally get out of your system. But, you know, honestly, I, I was having a lot of therapy too and dealing with a lot of mm. trauma coming back up. But, but that really sticks out to me as a time, like when I saw healing on the horizon, um, and so clear thinking to me is when I can think about just the one thing. And mm -hmm. again, like just going back to like what the kids eat, like, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? What's my choice here? What, what can I do here? And it's so easy to go into, again, I got to make vegetables because my kids don't eat vegetables and they're not going to grow as tall as they're going to be. So it's like, I'm making this, you guys decide if you're going to eat it. Like just, just staying to the one topic. And I guess, you know, mindfulness is like a big buzzword these days, but that really is kind of what, what I feel like clear thinking is. Yeah. You have to understand consequences of everything, but trusting yourself more and being able to trust yourself and just sticking to what is right in front of you, I think to me is, is thinking clearly. Yeah. Now uh, I want to take that, that statement that you made, like being able to trust yourself, <laughs> like, like that is something that's a constant uh, work in progress. Um, how, what do you, what sort of things do you have in your life today that help you continue to challenge that? Well, Again, I think fundamentally, like honesty has been the issue at the bottom of everything. Um, right. And for me, constantly reminding myself of the consequences of what happens when you're not honest, the right. consequences of what happens when you do pick up that one drink. And so I stay very, you know, immersed in the recovery world because of that. Cause I, right. cause I don't want to ever lose sight of it and not to like self-flagellate or anything. I don't want to like torture myself, no, but no, no. so I don't get so far away that I forget what it's like. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what were some of the things that when you were getting sober that you were attracted to, to help with that process of like kicking? Yeah. Um, reading memoirs. <laughs> like I read so many books, um, you know, all positive things, but I kind of had to take a break from that for a while. I'm like, okay, I've got to stop. Like I got to read something not recovery based. Um, candy. Like I've always had kind of a sweet tooth, but I, I just leaned into it again. I'm like, yeah. I can't get a DUI from candy. So I'm good. Um, and, and my phone. I mean, that's one thing I think it's hard to not be it's hard to not be on your phone a lot these days and, and whether it's habit or addiction, I mean, it, I, I put, put it away more often. Um, cause if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. I don't think about it. I don't need it. So just not having it in my hand as much because I would find myself, um, you know, needing that replacement, like instead of the drink in my hand or, or whatever it was, I needed something to do to keep my mind off of the fact that I wasn't drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, and again, just like, 
going out and hanging out with my kids instead of scrolling my phone and looking at other people's kids. Again, one thing that makes sense that is easier said than done. I mean, I mean, and, and that's the thing. These aren't bad things, right? Knowing that these exist or have existed within our process means that we're aware. So it's important, I think, to be able to be in touch with all those things. I mean, even still, like, you know, with 19 years, like I know that there are pacifiers in my life that, okay, I want to just look at that, right? Like, and someone had said to me once, it was just like, as soon as we make rules, right? As soon as we say, I'm only going to look at it this much, like my phone. Yes. Like, as soon as we, like... That's Red flag. addiction. Like that is not, we can't <laughs> like, like we have to own the fact that like, yeah. this is real because there are way too many people out there that are like, no, I'm good. And don't do this work. This work of recovering to ourselves and really knowing what we like is what's going to like really open up this planet into like a, a new, new stage of healing. You know? Yeah. I've said are. many times, like, even people who don't believe in AA or whatever, if everybody did the 12 steps, the world would be such a better place because everybody right. would That's focus right. on themselves, their own side of the street. Yeah. Yeah, because there is nothing in there. Like, if you can easily remove all of the alcohol and replace it with whatever. Yeah. And, like, that is – that's just tenets of living, and so much of that comes from ancient texts of yoga and other things like that. So it's not, these aren't new things. It was just right. presented for those who were, you know, struggling with alcohol. Yeah. Um, had, did you ever have an experience where like you were doing something or talking or expressing and in the middle of expressing it or it got brought up to you, you were just like, oh my God, three years ago, I would have never said this or done this. Every single day, every single day. I mean, even last night, my girls had a dance recital and I was like, oh gosh, I just cannot wait to go home and go to bed and put my jammies on. Like, and they were like, oh, me too. It was all done. We just wanted to go home and relax. And three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, would I cannot wait to get home and pour myself a drink would have right. been the response. Um, I mean, I never, I can say that about so many things. I, I never thought I could find joy from some of the things I do with my kids now. I, I tolerated parenthood so much. And that's sad to say, but I, I do think a lot of parents do that. And I never really like leaned in and try to enjoy it. Um, I never thought I would be able to put all of my secrets in a book and publish it for the public to read. Right. Um, I can say it about so many things. I never thought I would lose the desire to have a drink. I never thought I would, even if I had the desire to drink, to, to have the knowledge that I don't want to do that. Right. Um, honestly, I could, I could say that about everything. I never thought food could taste so good. I never thought I would enjoy things that I didn't enjoy before or that I would say no to things that I used to say yes to constantly. It, it's yeah. Every day I have reminders. I want to talk a little bit about tolerating parenthood because yeah. that's a that's a that's a hella statement right yeah. like i think it's i think it's a statement when when i talk to parents friends of mine that are parents and they always backtrack when they say you know i love my kids but and i'm like but, no yes. say it because it's true i know that like i know you're not gonna go murder your child right <laughs> like but if you can't say it or if you're afraid to say it because you're like i know 
that shit's tough. Like you're put in a position like here's this child and it's work and it is work that you didn't expect. I don't care how much you know about parenting. And again, I'm not a parent because I understand. Right. Like, like <laughs> you know, I know that shit. I'm not like we're not we're not. I saw what my parents had to do with me. And I looked at that and I was like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um. So talk to me a little bit about that and how that plays into like wine mom culture. I think you're you're expected to, you know, children are a blessing. Like, no, no doubt about it. All my children are blessings you're expected to see it as a blessing all the time. And it's not realistic. No matter how much you love your kids, every, every mother loves their child. There's, there's no way you can feel eternal bliss all of the time doing anything. Right. Um, but it's one of those things where, again, you have, you have a baby, you, you know, you have something that you've wanted all of this time, but it cries and you have to change it and it keeps you up at night. And it, it does, it, eats away at, you know, your self-care, like, you know, you're not able to sleep as much, you're not able to shower. Um, and I feel like we expect moms to, to just like deal with it. And right. we don't have necessarily the support we need. We have marketing, we have wine companies saying mommy needs wine. You know, well, not really. Mommy needs a shower and mommy needs sleep and mommy needs support and mommy needs more paid maternity leave. And, Fuck, yeah. <laughs> you know, parents need a lot more support. And, and so instead, it's like we're filling this hole with a wine cork. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, helps like <laughs> at first, right? Like, hey, oh, I'm on the couch. You know, I'm nursing and this sucks. You know, the glass of wine relaxes you at the time and then that anxiety comes back and then it's this vicious cycle then where you need more and then you're drinking every night and then you go to a play group and there's wine at 10 a.m and it's okay because babies don't know what you're doing and it's social and then you take your kids to their um you know soccer banquet and it's at a brewery and of course you're going to drink because we deserve it and so it turns into this whole we can't say it's hard but then we need to reward ourselves and congratulate ourselves with liquor it's, it's yeah. this weird world and yeah. I, i'm not sure again it's like the chicken and egg situation i'm not sure where <laughs> it starts where it ends and who needs to fix it but i was talking to someone the other day about this idea that like you know what do you want right like and 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 i had said look they're telling themselves i should eat healthier right and i and i talk a lot about shooting on yourself and all this other stuff and 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 so much of that comes from this idea that it, a should is an external right it's coming from the outside right um and and i say okay if you want to have pizza go ahead and have pizza but recognize what it does for you not just for the next two hours but for the next three days right because maybe you're gonna like after the two hour, like, oh, I feel full and like satiated, you're going to feel bloated and gross. Relate that back to the pizza, right? Like, don't, don't, don't just be like, I feel bloated and gross. And I don't know, like, you know, mm -hmm. and then if you feel like judgmental of yourself down the line. And so that's the cycle that I kind of see like alcohol coming into where it's just like, I, I, 
as soon as I start to feel a little more gross, it's like, go back to that alcohol because then it makes me feel better. And then as soon as I feel stressed by my kids, go back to that alcohol because it makes me feel better. And, and now we have this sort of cycle of like what I like to call awareness avoidance, right? Like people just like, I don't want to be aware of this. Um, I don't want to look at it. It's, and it's the cognitive dissonance. It's that learning that something that you've been doing and thinking is okay is really, really, really bad. That's a hard pill to swallow, you know, pardon yeah. the pun, but it's, it's hard to know that this simple little thing that you're doing, oh, just having a glass of wine in a play group, that it is extremely damaging to yourself, your body, your brain, and to your kid that you're, you know, you're supposed to feel, you know, so blessed to have. And it's like, it's, it's this horrible, vicious cycle that then you're going to feel more guilty and then you're going to feel like crap. And then you wake up with a hangover and you go back to it again. It's, it's such a vicious cycle. You know, I've, I've had to listen to some people like, um, make statements like I'm a good mother. And it's like, well, like, what does that mean? How does that like, what, I, I don't know what you want from me, like to say, um, what in, in terms of like this, this, in terms of how it affects the child, right? And how drinking in front of a child, drinking at the soccer groups, drinking at the play group, drinking yeah. at like at home, like hangovers, all of these things. How, how has that been found to affect children? And how profound is that? So I think it's easier to relate if you substitute smoking. So you never go to a, again, a soccer awards banquet and have a bunch of parents around smoking. Like that would be so frowned upon. You never. Today. Because that yeah. would not but, have but been. But back in the day. I know. I feel like alcohol is like the new cigarettes, right? Yeah. Um, you would never make jokes about smoking in front of your kids. You would never think it was cute if your kid pretended to smoke a fake cigarette. But we think it's so adorable when kids are like cheersing with, with beer glasses. Um, we assume our kids are going to grow up and they're going to be adults who drink. No smoker would ever want, wish that their kid grows up and smokes. And yet alcohol is carcinogenic. It's dangerous. It kills almost 90,000 Americans a year. I mean, it's, it's deadly. And again, this doesn't have to come from a place of judgment. It's legal. So are cigarettes. So is weed in Seattle. Like, but I, I have parents who, or I have friends who smoke weed. Fine. Like that's a choice they make. They sure as hell don't do it in front of their kids. I have friends who smoke cigarettes. They don't do it in front of their kids. Yet I have tons of friends who drink alcohol have no problem doing it in front of their kids. Right. And so where is the line? Like, why is one okay? And why is one not? And how can you not see that that isn't damaging, that you're showing them that they need to grow up and drink, that social situations require drinking, that all parties require drinking, that all sports you know, anything, any football game and everything requires drinking. You're teaching your kids that drinking is required. And I was on that side. I did that for years. Right. There was nothing social that happened in our house without booze. And, and so again, it goes back to that, like not wanting to look at how bad our behaviors actually are. Right. 
Um, and so I, I just feel like having been on the other side of it, like I'm, I'm here to call it out. Yeah, it's good. Like we, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's tough because every product on the market is here to make us feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. And the thing is, is our actions when we look at them often cause discomfort. And like, it's real easy to just be like, well, let's just have a drink and shut up. And then we can have small talk and we don't have to worry about this, right? Like, like what caused that shift in your mind? Was it just sobriety? I think it was sobriety and just, again, honesty, being honest with myself and, and actually doing some research, you know, that's why, and I went back, that's why I became a professional recovery coach. Not because I was like, I want to coach people, but because I wanted to learn about myself and like how I got to this place. I wanted to know statistics. I've always been science minded and I wanted to read the textbooks about, I wanted a reason for everything. I wanted a reason why I was the way I was. And I, there was just too much information about that, that we're not given. We, We share the cute articles on Facebook about Oh, wine cures dementia and all this bullshit. That's not actually true, but they're from these studies with these really small sample sizes. It's not double blind, all of these things, but that's what people feed into because it, it justifies what they're doing. And, and I think once I couldn't look at the facts, like I saw so many facts, I couldn't deny them anymore. And and then looking back at even the only things my kids did, like my two-year-old handed me a a wine glass, you know, at that age, they can associate you with a substance that mommy's upset. She needs her wine. And that is super damaging. And so, you know, I'm willing to call myself on that and and change the narrative. And, you know, I, I think just, there's so much that goes into it. And I don't even remember your original question now, but (laughs) Um, I just, I, I, you know, again, I enjoy, I enjoy like, like, cause, cause you string these things together and it's really nice to watch you um, answer. Cause I, you know, like I've noticed that we're not really answering questions, but we're having this conversation that's yeah. a little deeper and it's really like, and it's really um, personal, which I think is really nice. And, and I'm, and I'm appreciative of. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the parenting mom piece of it, I think people get offended initially by, by the notion, like I'm doing something bad. Like you're saying I'm a bad parent, right? Like this idea of I'm a good mom. I'm, I drink, right. but I'm a well, good that's, mom. Well, that was why I mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in this place of defense. And I would, I would say that I was there because I think we know, you know, we're, we know that drinking heavily is bad. And so if you're drinking heavily in front of your kid, you, you feel a little bit of this internal guilt. And I would say like, it, it's really hard not to feel judgment, even if what I'm saying is not coming from a place of judgment. Again, I'm not a prohibitionist. I don't, I don't want alcohol to be illegal. I don't really care. It, it's right. not about that. It's just about you're making a choice. You're taking a risk and you need to understand that it's a risk. You're taking a risk when you get behind the, the wheel of a car. You're taking a risk in everything you do. Mm -hmm. And yet we're not understanding that alcohol is a risk. And so you can be an amazing parent and still have an alcohol problem. And those can be two completely true statements at the same time. 
Right. Yeah. It's not mutually exclusive. And and I often say, you know, when people are like, I'm a good parent, who 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 are you looking to prove that? Yeah, to? who do you who asked you? <laughs> Why fuck if I care if you're a good parent. Yeah. I'm not your kid. Shit ain't my problem. Um yeah. and that's one of the big things where it's just like people get re- the reason you asked is because you're judging yourself. Right. I said something that rang that judgment, rang that bell of judgment in your mind. Now you're judging yourself and blaming me. Right. For... And it goes back to like what, why people say, you know, sober people around the world aren't drinking. And someone says, why aren't you drinking? Well, it's about them. Cause really nobody right. cares if you're drinking or not. When it comes right. down to it, nobody really gives a shit if you're drinking or not. They care that you're not drinking because it makes them feel like the odd one out now. Right. And and, you know, I've, I've dealt with this since being like public about my sobriety with, you know, the fact that I have five kids and, you know, that I... I you need wide more than anybody. <laughs> right? oh, yeah, that. Like, oh, have a drink. No wonder you drank. <laughs> Which right. I, I mean, those jokes are, I laugh just as much as everybody else. Like, it's, yeah. you know, it's funny. Um, but... But coming from the place of that I've been very outspoken about postpartum depression and that you can be a mom and still it sometimes not really like being a mom and not really like your kids and wish you've never had kids like you can. And I've been, you know, publicly chastised for that. Like, oh, you're so lucky you've had you've had five kids without even trying. And I wish I could have a kid. And like I, you know, so still I can still have these feelings and still be sorry that you're not able to get pregnant. Like I, I and still understand those things. And so, nothing to do with one another. <laughs> right. And, and so it kind of, you know, along the same lines, it's like I can still be a sober mom and still make really crappy parenting decisions. Like I screw up all the time. It doesn't mean I've all of a sudden found this like, oh, like I'm this perfect parent now because I'm sober. No, it's just I found this one thing that I was doing that was damaging. I've learned about it. I know it's damaging. I'd love to share with other people how it's damaging because I've been there. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm doing all these other things. And by the way, if you have any tips on me to get my kids to eat more vegetables, please give them to me. Like, obviously I feel very personally insecure about that. So again, it's, it's, it's not black or white. There's so many issues. And you know, I, again, I'm just out there sharing the one thing that I have learned. Yeah. And we are grateful and lucky to have that. So thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with me about all this. And it was, it was, a, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Buzz, thank you. On the homepage of her site, Emily has written, build a life you don't need a vacation from. And I couldn't agree more. This is exactly what I've aspired to do my entire sober life. Emily's book, Highlight Reel. Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life can be found wherever you get your books today. Emily also does coaching and is super personable, so definitely reach out to her if you can use her services. Check out the links in the description to get her book and connect with her on social. Consider heading over to anchor.fm and supporting this podcast. I would also love to hear from you, so comments, criticisms, and suggestions are all welcomed. And you can leave me a voicemail message on this podcast's homepage on Anchor. If you are someone in long-term recovery, reach out to me through my website or on social media. Once again, this is the Recover Yourself podcast, and I'm your host to manage long-term sobriety, Martin John. Until next time, keep recovering yourself.